0: Let's turn to Acts chapter 17 this morning. Jesus calls us to take up our crosses, follow him, be willing to lose our lives for him. Life of Paul is a great example of this. If you remember at the end of chapter 16, Uh, after being uh, unjustly put in prison and having the miracle of um, the earthquake and the doors opening and the chains being loose as they were praising God in the middle of the night being in jail. And and the jailer coming down and Paul saying, Don't worry, we're all here. And he and his family being baptized. We see just at the end of chapter 16, um, they were afraid when they heard that Paul was a Roman citizen. And when they came and appealed to them, when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. Okay? They were pleading with them, asking them, please get out of our city because we know we've wronged you, we know we've done wrong, and you, your God has demonstrated these powerful works. Now why don't you head on out and go someplace else? Instead of being interested in what was going on and how the Lord was able to do these things, they wanted just to get rid of Paul and get rid of their problem. Well, Paul has never been shy about the gospel, He's never, he was never shy about its proclamation, and even though it cost him personally, he presented it faithfully. So we, it brings us to chapter 17, and if you're able, will you stand with me as I read our passage for this morning? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us with understanding, that our eyes and hearts might be open to your word, that we might walk in a way that is faithful and pleasing to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts 17 verses 1 through 9. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, This Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of the God fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. The God fearing Greeks would have been Gentiles who were allowed into the synagogue because they believed in the God of the Old Testament. Now that faith was coming to its ultimate fulfillment in the message of Christ. Verse 5, But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they, are, they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. Jesus, and they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Keep your finger in Acts 17, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thessalonians is right after Colossians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember that Acts is a history of the early church. And you can go and lay the, the epistles in on top of Acts and where they fall uh, chronologically as well as geographically. And here we're falling in the area of Thessalonica as Paul takes the gospel there. Now they traveled 100 miles passing two important cities as, as they were listed here, uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia. Uh, to get to Thessalonica where they of course went into a synagogue as was Paul's custom even though it was his job now to take the gospel to the Gentiles he was still going into the synagogues and preaching because that gave him an in so to speak uh, easy access and those who were uh, believers as the God-fearers uh, those who were waiting for the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the Messiah the coming of the Messiah they would be there. And they had the boldness to do this in the face of quite a bit of opposition. Chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid, amid, amid much opposition. So this is what's going on. They've just been uh, beaten up and imprisoned in Philippi, and the Lord has done this great work, and now they're off, and they go and do it again. They come into uh, Thessalonica, and when they're driven out of Thessalonica, we'll see, they go on to Berea, and they preach the the gospel there in Berea to the intellectuals at at Athens. And uh, so, you know, nothing stops Paul and his crowd. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're here for the gospel this is why they're here this is why the Lord has called them and put them into this world so that they might declare the things of Christ now it should not be a surprise that when Paul preaches the gospel as we've looked at before you get a revival or you get a riot Christ said I did not come to bring peace but a sword now, that sounds very strange coming from the mouth of Christ, who also talked about turning the other cheek. And if uh, somebody asks you for your shirt, give me your coat as well. But he did come to bring a sword. Now, that sword is a sword of division because the gospel is inherently divisive. It is inherently divisive. When the gospel is clearly proclaimed, it draws a line in the sand, and people cannot be neutral when they believe the gospel of christ you cannot be neutral on certain things and this is perhaps the largest problem with christianity as seen by the non-believing world and that is our unwillingness to compromise on certain things because there's things that god says this is right and this is wrong and it leaves no area in between for um uh, wiggling, uh, no wiggle room, no uh, discussion room. This is right and this is wrong. Now some of those things in scripture are taught explicitly. They are clearly seen. It is wrong to go and commit premeditated murder. W- would you all agree with that? Okay, okay, good, good. Uh, it is wrong uh, to, you know, you just, and that's just the Ten Commandments. That it comes right out of there, okay? But there are other things that go on. So some of those things are clearly explicitly taught then there are things that are implicitly taught from scripture that you you can pick up as a strain of teaching that shows us that these behaviors are correct and that these behaviors are incorrect okay um god alone is the arbiter of truth god alone is the one who decides these things what is fair and righteous is defined by him it's not defined by us Fair to Randy might be different than fair to everybody else here. But fair to God is fair. Righteous, according to God's definition, is righteous. There's no room for me to come in and say, well, oh, yeah, Lord, but, but what about this? Isn't this righteous? If he has declared it righteous, it is. If he has declared it unrighteous or unjust, then it is. Then it is. See, this is, uh, this is what angers and upsets and frustrates the non believing world. Because when they see these things in us, they they see it as obstinacy and narrow mindedness. Uh, and, and and they don't understand why our view of the world is not shaped by, you know, political correctness or current trends or or changing moralities or how we feel about things or, or which political party we're affiliated with or or You know, what the latest Gallup poll says that the, the, the crowd says is right or the crowd says is wrong. Or what even the laws of our society are. Believers hold to the way that we live and what we view as right and wrong in accordance with the things of Scripture. And that often puts us out of step. It often puts us at odds with the rest of the unbelieving society. And sometimes, it even in their view, makes us dangerous. Now, 50 years ago, or so, um, there was a question that was asked to a variety of people, okay? Let me make sure I got it right. Are you now, or have you ever been a member of what? The Communist Party, okay? Just just for the record, Communists are bad, okay? Communists are bad. Um, I've seen Communists, and and I've, I've, you know, been there. The answer to that question, or even the perceived hedging of the answer that was correct in the minds of the day, you know, might put you uh, ostracized from society, might blacklisted you or whatever it was. So I have a question. Will it come to a point in our lifetimes where we will be asked as believers, do you now or have you ever held that blank is wrong or that blank is a sin? Okay, think about that. Will our view of right and wrong, or our view of sin and not sinful, will that ostracize us from society? Will that remove us as worthy of being in some sort of leadership at some time? Or will that even label us as dangerous to a non-believing society? Perhaps we should ask ourselves the question, why aren't we presently deemed dangerous to the non-believing society? See, the gospel divides. Yes, the gospel releases people from the chains of sin. It frees them, and and, and it it fills them with a joy that they can't find any place else, but yet it divides. It can be very difficult. Jesus says what? I've come to set father against mother, brother against sister, all those types of things. Okay, The gospel divides. It is a radical way of life at odds with the rest of the world. So we have to ask ourselves, are we troublemakers? Are we stirring the pot? Are we at odds with society? Or are we in the mainstream and going right along with it? Does anybody look at us and say, you're dangerous. Your view of what is right and wrong is not in step with the world, and you are dangerous because of it. And you don't have any business to voice that opinion in the world. Well, here, as everywhere, Paul stirred up controversy Some rejected the message outright. Some hated Paul because of jealousy and even satanic motivation, motivation, and they stirred up opposition against him. And in fact, when Paul leaves Thessalonica and goes to Berea, 46 miles away, There's a group of Jews that follow Paul, and they stir the pot in Berea. They hate Paul so much that they're willing to walk 46 miles to go and to disrupt his proclamation of the gospel. They are especially jealous because Paul, in the proclaiming of the message of Jesus Christ, are taking some of those God-fears, remember we defined those earlier as Gentiles who believed in the God of the Old Testament... Now they were hearing the fulfillment of that in the message of Jesus Christ and leaving the synagogue and following Paul. They, so the Jews were especially upset that this was happening. Now to be nominal in our commitment to Jesus is not really to be a follower of Christ. Notice how much the Lord can accomplish with just a few people here. Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, there's four guys as far as we know were with, in this crowd here four men four men traveling in almost a completely pagan world and they left behind this series of start-up churches that were in the minority of every community they, they were in but yet the gospel was proclaimed the people grew in their knowledge of Christ they upset in, in their view in the view of the, the people in Thessalonica they upset the entire world with this gospel message John Wesley said, Give me fifty men who love nothing but God and fear nothing but sin, and I will change the world. But Jesus said twelve was enough. Those who have turned the world upside down. Now, the Scripture is full of people who turn the world upside down because they stick to what is right and what the Lord says. Elijah, as an example, he was a troublemaker because he always gave the news to the kings and to the people that the Lord said, This is what is going to happen. So Elijah gives the word to Ahab, who's king at that time, and Ahab says, are you he who troubles Israel? All of Israel is troubled by your message, Elijah. And Elijah turns the tables and says, no, it's not me who troubles Israel, it's you, Ahab, because you have wandered away from the things of God. So Elijah made waves. Jeremiah, he brings a message from the Lord that Jerusalem will fall. And King Zechariah, or Zedekiah, doesn't really like that message at all. You can imagine that. So he says, I don't like this message that Jeremiah brings. He's, he's causing everybody in Jerusalem to doubt. Uh, Zedekiah said, specifically doubt me and my leadership. Uh, so I'm going to throw him into prison. So Jeremiah was taken off away. Paul in Acts 21 does the same things. Jews from Asia come to grab him and take him away. Paul in Acts 22, he is preaching the things of Jesus Christ, and they come and say, this man has no business living. Now get that. Because he presents the gospel of Christ, he has no business living. Away with such fellow from this earth. He should not be allowed to live. Well, I've never been thrown out of any place um, because I proclaim the gospel, because I proclaim the gospel, not that I've not been thrown out of any place. Um, and and I've, been, uh, I've had people leave in, in the middle of uh, messages and, and talks because of what they heard. Uh, I think it was offensive to, to their particular context and person. i uh, been sp- spit on as I stood for life on the sidewalk. Cars would go by and, and do that, but, you know, that wipes off. It's pretty... Pretty innocuous, but but you see the evil that is projected onto the to those who proclaim the gospel of Christ. Now Paul has made a strategic choice as he comes to Thessalonica. It's geographically located right on Main Drag, uh, so to speak, in the in the old world where uh, trade would go through, armies would march through, agriculture would go through, and uh, these two towns, Thessalonica. And later in the chapter, Berea, uh, Thessalonica has about 200,000 people at this time, Berea is a little bit smaller, uh, but they were both very important cities. So Paul makes a choice, and we trust, led by the Holy Spirit, to go to these cities and proclaim the gospel and to begin to plant churches there. So he goes and he tells Luke, and he goes with Luke and Silas and, and uh, Timothy here, and For three successive Sundays, they go into the synagogue and they proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, this is what would go on in the synagogue at that time. They would have uh, readings of the Old Testament. Uh, They would have somebody explain those readings. Uh, They would pray, pray. There was lots of prayer going on in the synagogues if it was possible. They would have people who would sing, and they would sing the Psalms and the things from the Old Testament. So Paul shows up, and he is well steeped in this. He understands exactly what's going on. And every every week they would have somebody read, and they would ask somebody, and Paul being a visitor, it was not uncommon, that they would ask him to talk about the passage. And so this gave Paul the opening to proclaim the gospel, because he would talk about the passage, and then he would make application of the passage in the life of Jesus Christ. So he preached the scriptures. He took the Old Testament, and then there are four words here that he uses. He reasoned, he explained, he gave evidence, and he proclaimed. He reasoned, explained, gave evidence, and proclaimed. And these are very technical, uh, rhetorical words in the Greek understanding. These are words that mean what Paul did is he took this scripture and he brought along other scriptures alongside of it he took this passage and he began to say this passage fulfillment is over here and then he would bring other passages for support Um, it's a process of deduction of logic of argumentation of premises and conclusions this is the way that the greek mind thought and argued and paul is taking that and using it as he presents the scripture apologetics that's what he was doing he was defending jesus christ and he was doing it from the old testament and he was showing them the truth and all that they had waited for is fulfilled in the person and work of jesus christ so paul explains he gives evidence that christ had to suffer and rise from the dead he opened their eyes the word explained means to open their eyes to open their eyes now If you come across somebody who doesn't believe, it's uh, appropriate to share how you came to faith. It's appropriate to share what you think is important and, and, and even talk about Scripture. It is most important that you proclaim the gospel to them. That if you don't have it memorized, you have a cheat sheet in the back of your Bible that you can turn to and find those passages so that you might open to those passages and read them. It is the proclamation of the gospel that is very important. For it is what? The power of God unto salvation. Now, the Lord might use your testimony. He might use your description of things. But we know he does use the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very uh, not uncommon that people will, will you begin to talk about Jesus and they'll, they'll go, Well, yeah, I've always had some questions. Now, now how did uh, Noah get all his animals on the ark? Or do you really believe in and there was just Adam and Eve, and, and what they're doing is here is the issue in their life, and how many of us really want to talk about that issue in our life? We would rather rabbit-track over here and talk about an issue that odds are you don't have an answer for, okay? Unless you have done your Hebrew work, you're not ready to talk about Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, is, is the flood universal or is it local? Did you ever even think about it, Okay non-believers have thought about it and they're ready to ask you that question that is not the issue at heart the issue at heart is who is jesus and who do you say jesus is see they want to rabbit track away from that issue because in their hearts that is the pressing issue we have to go back to that and face and they have to face that question who do you say that jesus is now, don't get extra- don't get distracted by extraneous methods and extraneous questions. Who is Jesus? And if you have a, a doubt, you know, uh, if, you, if they if they're saying, okay, well, who is Jesus? Send them to the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John until you know who Jesus is. Okay, the Gospel will show you very clearly who Jesus Christ is. Well, Paul's not arguing out of the Gospel of John. He's arguing out of the Old Testament. So what kind of passages might he turn to to argue about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament? He may have turned to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 talks about a crucifixion death hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant and how by his stripes we are healed. And this is the fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. He may have turned to Psalm 16 where it says, "'You will not abandon my soul in Sheol.'" nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Implied that to Jesus Christ. He may have gone to Genesis 22, where Abraham offers Isaac up as a sacrifice, and how God says, I know you don't withhold anything from me, and what do we find caught in the bushes? God provides the sacrifice. God provides the sacrifice. So he argues maybe from these Old Testament sections and points to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment. Now, if you were going to change the world today, if you were going to put an ad in the Huntsville Times, wanted somebody to change the world, what might it look like? What would that job description look like? Would they be a political leader? Would they be somebody of influence and power? Would they have a lot of uh, good contacts? Would they have a lot of money? What would it be like? Remember the job description that might fit Paul. A man full of the Spirit, prepared to go anywhere for no compensation, ready to suffer and possibly die in the course of your work, with nowhere to call home except heaven, ready to offend the entire world. Is that how you change it? Not according to the conventional wisdom, but according to the gospel. This might describe what Paul was willing to do and what he did. And he offended the world. He turned the world upside down. How? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one ever really affects the world for Christ who doesn't have conviction and the courage of their conviction. It might be It's not enough to say that I believe these things. Do you have the courage to live those things? Do you have the courage to turn to your neighbor who you don't want to offend, but you know as soon as you share the gospel with them, you're going to offend them? Now, how do you demonstrate your love to them? By not offending them or by telling them the truth about eternity? telling them about the truth about why they were created and why they're here is it loving to withhold and not offend or is it loving to offend knowing that they may believe the things that you say and their life might be changed by christ romans 118 for i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ it is the power of god unto salvation Now paul and silas and luke and timothy were troublemakers When they proclaimed that Jesus was Savior and Lord and King, they were a threat to the Jewish establishment, a threat to the Roman Empire, and a threat to everyone whose heart was held captive by sin. So today, are you a troublemaker? Does the world hate you? Because you tell them the truth. Are you willing to be offensive and to do so with love and compassion? but yet uncompromising on the things of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We should not be either. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. So let's pray. Lord, in your mercy and grace, you have called us. You've opened our eyes to the truth. And now, Lord, you call us to proclaim that. Yes, we will be offensive to the world because that's what the gospel is. The darkness does not like the light. It hates it. And we are called to shine the light of the gospel into a darkened world. Lord, open our eyes to where you will have us act. Who is it that we will see this week that we should share the truth with? Perhaps, Lord, there are are those in our lives where we have been hesitant because we don't want to offend, but we've been been working slowly, leading up to a point. Perhaps that point will be this week where where we will be ready to take the step and share with them the things of Christ. Ask them who they think Jesus is and to show them from Scripture that he is the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. We ask this in Christ's name.